You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Hey, hey, friends, it's Dana Shea, and you're listening to Real Relationship Talk. So happy that you guys are on the podcast today and that you are taking time out, whether you're driving, cooking dinner, taking a shower, laying in your bed, maybe at work. I don't know. I don't know where you guys are. I don't know when you listen to podcasts the most. I would love to hear from you, though. I know for me, I always listen to podcast driving and my kids have listened to so many podcasts. It's funny because I have kind of my favorites and they know when the theme music comes on, they're like, mom, no, we don't want to listen to this. But they're going to appreciate it one day. I know they will. This one is actually a great episode for you to listen to with your children. I think that this whole idea of keeping records of wrongs, which is what we're talking about today, is a universal principle. Five-year-olds keep records of wrongs. 55-year-olds keep records of wrongs. People with PhDs keep records of wrongs. People with GEDs keep records of wrongs. Why do we keep records of wrongs? It's because we feel like that is a good defense. We feel like if we can actually hold on to maybe a hurt or something that someone did, and maybe we're not going to offer them forgiveness or we're going to make them earn our forgiveness, then somehow that's protecting ourselves. And I'm just going to blow that whole ideology out of the water today. But I'm not alone today, you guys. I have with us a new and dear friend, Dr. J. Calvin Tibbs. Y'all, I absolutely loved this conversation with Dr. Tibbs because he is such a wise man. He is a kind man. And this conversation was effortless. There are times where I'm having a conversation with somebody and I'm like, I feel like I've known you forever. This is one of those kinds of conversations. So I know that you guys are really going to enjoy it. Dr. Tibbs is going to talk to us today about PDD. PDD is purpose deficit disorder. Y'all, when he told me that I about died, I was like, this needs to be a show in and of itself. PDD. So some of y'all are going to be set free today from your PDD. So a little bit about Dr. Tibbs. He is a senior pastor of Kingdom Dominion Church in Georgia. And in addition to pastoring each week, he writes and he's got a couple of books, but one of his books, his most recent book, is called A Man Made for Marriage, How Women Attract One and How Men Become One. Y'all, look that up on Amazon. Not only is he a writer, but he's also a speaker. He speaks at conferences worldwide. And most important part, he and his wife, Kimberly, have been married 37 years. They have three children and two grandchildren. Y'all, when I hear about someone who's been married for 30 anything, 40 anything, 50 anything, I'm all ears. I'm like, tell me everything you know about marriage because I'm still trying to grow in mine. I've been married for 23 years, but I feel like we're just getting started. So y'all, I am so happy that you are here today. This is going to be an incredible conversation. At the end of it, I hope that you are going to be someone who does not keep records of wrongs. I hope that you are going to learn with me how to keep short accounts, how to forgive quickly. Let's jump in to our conversation today with Dr. J. Calvin Tibbs. 
All right, Pastor Calvin, we're so grateful to have you here with us today, and I cannot wait to get into all the things that we are going to talk about. As you know, we are in this series called Love Is, and today we are going to be focusing on Love Keeps No Record of Wrongs, which you and I were just kind of laughing a little bit before I started recording, how that is such a timely message for all of us, right, in relationships because it's so easy for us to keep that scorecard. So before we get into all that, though, I know that even before, again, we we started recording, you were saying that you uh, are from here. So you used to live in Hampton, which is 30 minutes from me. Exactly. Grew up there all of my life. Well, most of my life. I was born in North Carolina, but all of my life that I remember, elementary school and so forth, Hampton High School, the Crabbers, the whole nine yards was lived right there. And when I saw you from Virginia Beach, and that's where you are, it was like, home. It's good to kind of be back in this regard. How long have you been away from Hampton Roads? Well, I left to go to college in 79 and went or came here to Atlanta, went to Clark College at the time. Now it's called Clark Atlanta University, graduated in 1983. And that's when I got commissioned into the military as a young second lieutenant and a couple of three and a half, almost four years out, got out as a captain. I shouldn't have but I thought I knew better. And since I was into telling the Lord what was best for me, I got out, went through the challenges that things, when you do what the opposite of what God desires is, and um, I'm no worse for it. He causes it to work together for the good. He does. He does. But when you got out prematurely, what were you pursuing? What were you going after? Well, I was going after a music ministry because I really got a strong sense of God's desire to move me in that direction. And I think that was the Lord's easy way of getting me into the ministry. But Mm. since it was called a music ministry, I could handle it because I wasn't really that interested in the ministry because of my preconceived notions about my style being cramped as if I had one. And the reality of thinking that Life is better if you could enjoy yourself without the encumbrance of that. But I am so glad that I didn't listen to myself, and I'm glad he didn't listen to me either. And aren't you glad that he just turns all of our mess around? So many of us have made so many mistakes, and how a lot of us beat ourselves up, whether maybe you felt like you've chosen the wrong spouse or the wrong partner, or maybe you've gotten yourself involved in a relationship that you know that you shouldn't be in. And those things can eat away at us. But I love just even listening to your vocational journey a little bit, how God took that and how he put you where you were supposed to be, regardless of your own decisions. (laughs) He's amazing. And you know that. And I never would have thought, in fact, my wife and I have been married now 38 years. At the time, we were probably 21 here in Atlanta. And I was telling her about this encroachment and I slid down a tree we were leaning against. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't. I just, I don't want to do this because it seems like it's myopic and religious, and I didn't want to deal. And lo and behold, the very first assignment, the very first Sunday at Fort Hood, there was this cool kind of pastor who was a chaplain, and I just began to think, you know, well, maybe if this is what you want, you know, maybe I can. That pastor ended up marrying us. That pastor was literally in my very home church when I was thirteen vying for the position, God moved him. They didn't assign him the position. And lo and behold, he's still the guy at that time who was the example to let me know, you know, it's okay. And I have therefore have a heart for people who run from God because of their view. But I do know that he will get you. And it's better that he does because he knows better than we know. 
Oh, my goodness. I just want to park there for a minute because listening to you talk again, I cannot help but to think about people who are in relationships and maybe doing relationships wrong, but feeling like they know better than God. Or, you know, there's a lot of people who are Christian, air quote, for those of you all who are watching this on YouTube, you see me doing these air quotes. For those who are listening to the podcast, you don't. But so many people believe, just like you said, God is going to cramp my style or, you know, I know what I'm doing or I don't necessarily believe in all of that, that the Bible says about relationships. And what happens is then we do our own thing, right? We get do our own way. And then we've got the bumps and the cuts and the scrapes and the bruises from it. And God is like, if you just want to listen to the way that I told you how to do this, you could have saved yourself a lot of grief and heartache, you know? Good night. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and it dawned on me, you know, the other other day we were talking and part of my family, my, my wife and our youngest daughter, and it was like, you know what? It's interesting that Jesus depended upon his father for everything. And he was the son of God. He, he is the son of God. Now here we are, the sons of men and women, and yet we have the, what I like to say often also sort of in quotes to our congregation, the unmitigated goal to think that we know better. Hmm. And so we don't have to do what the son of God does by way of dependence. And of course, I'm thinking of my own self to begin with and that, and then just how people think, I got it, God, I got it. He does the big, I do the little. And it's just unfortunate that we've been, I don't know what it is, westernized or just duped or our soul is so strong that the will determines what's best versus letting his word do that determination. And, you know, we've all fallen in in that trap. And, you know, to your point, we just need to really let go and let God and learn the balance of that relationship because it's it's something special when we really get it. Yes, I so agree with that. And when we do lean into that dependence, then we realize that God is a good father. I think so many of us, unfortunately, have this warped view of who God is. We feel like maybe he's trying to, like you said before, cramp our style, or maybe he's trying to withhold something from us, which was the lie that the enemy told Adam and Eve in the very beginning, right? That God is somehow trying to withhold something from them. And here we are thousands of of years later, still falling into that same lie that we can do relationships our way, whether we're single or whether we're married. Hey friends, Dana Shea here breaking into the episode real quick as we journey over the next several weeks on this whole topic of what love is. I have created an interactive workbook just for you or you and your boo to download and go through every single week with us on the podcast. This workbook is going to help you to grow deeper in your relationships. It's going to help you to put into action how to love. This workbook consists of scripture, affirmations, meditations, and practical how-tos. So be sure to download your copy today at realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. Again, that's realrelationshiptalk.com slash love is. All right, back to our show. What we're going to get into today is talking about how we hold on to bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment. We keep a score. And even though logically, I think most people know that that's not the best way to do relationships. We have God's word that says that's not the right way to do relationships. But yet we obviously must be getting something out of it because we keep doing it generation after generation. So, Pastor, I want to know, can you talk to us a little bit about really the human condition 
and why we are so bent to hold on to the things that God wants to release from us? That's a loaded question. That is mm-hmm. flat out a loaded question. So I'll I'll, I'll start with the, the wording that triggered it, the human condition. Uh, we're in, in, an, in a fallen state in terms of the world as we know it. And we've been in a fallen state since Adam decided to give the God-given authority over to Satan. Now, Jesus took the keys back, but yet there is still two levels of existence, three really, but in terms of there's the human existence that's inside of a person. And then there is the existence in their atmosphere. And most people, unfortunately, are a product of their environment versus a master of their environment. And the difference is whether the cues are taken from the outside in or the cues are given from the inside out. And a lot of times we're just trained to respond or react to what's going Mm -hmm. on around us when we actually need some parameters to help us develop what Jesus had, which in our training, we call it self-culture, not selfishness, but a culture inside of oneself that always makes the culture that it's in better. Doesn't have to be the leader at every instance, doesn't have to be quiet at all times. The culture inside of the person determines what's best for the situation. And that's really, that takes work because you're the adult in the room at that point. And if that's the requirement and the individual is not used to being the adult in the room, but a responder of the environment, then they're left to the environment to become a product of it. Mm, That's good. One of the things that came to my mind is the difference between, and I'm sure that you've heard this analogy, maybe used it, is the thermostat and the thermometer. The thermostat is the one that adjusts the temperature. So I think about that in my home a lot. You know, if I come downstairs and my kids are having a bad day and they're arguing with each other and my husband might be stressed out about something, I can choose to be the thermostat to come downstairs and say, hmm, it's a little hot down here. I'm going to turn down the temperature, right? I'm going to affect my environment and I do have the right and power to do so. Or I can be thermometer, which is basically I just read the room. I just find the temperature of the room or the relationship, right? Because again, we're talking about relationships here and people get into relationships. And I think if you're not self-aware enough, to know, first of all, this is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I'll accept. These are my boundaries. That's being the thermostat. But a lot of people come into relationships and they simply read the temperature of the other person. They read the temperature of the relationship and then they just simply become this um, passive person instead of affecting that very environment that they are now a part of. Wow. So I want to know, you know, I'm thinking about women, you know, specifically, I know a lot of the work that you do is with men, which we so need, because I feel like women, a lot of times are the initiators of relationship advice. Most of my clients are women as far as, you know, I I counsel couples, but it's the wife that reaches out to me. And I feel that there are men who have, A, they've not been empowered or they don't realize that they're empowered to really be leaders and to really initiate um, the health of their relationship. So I'm thinking about a woman in particular who, if she feels that she is in a relationship, whether it be a uh, a marriage or whether she feels like she's in a relationship um, of a romantic nature, that she feels out of control. She feels like there are all of these things happening around her that she can't change. Maybe she doesn't have boundaries or she feels that she has no voice. 
how would you help a woman to regain her voice and to become, again, that thermostat and not just be a thermometer in that relationship? Yeah, that's another great question. Essentially, when a lady or a man, in this case, a lady feels stuck, the first place they have to recognize is that they're never stuck. And I say that to our congregation and when my wife and I are talking about different things with church or in community, and it seems like the help didn't show up or the help didn't give whatever level, I'm like, we're not stuck. We're never stuck. And so a lady who feels stuck, like a lady that we saw in our community as we turned around several corners and got to a stoplight a little ways down, and we saw these, this couple walking and the guy was turning red with rage and to the point where it's like, am I going to have to call the police on this guy or whatever? We could hear him as we were driving with the radio on. And I mm. thought to myself, it's ladies like that, that I love to help to avoid them even getting in the situation that they then feel stuck in. So when a lady feels stuck, all she really has to do is outgrow where she is. Now, that may seem like a tall order, but we grow physically, we grow in our bank accounts, we grow in our opinions. When we begin to grow in our soul, you can literally outgrow the room that you're in or the relationship that you're in, but there are some things that have to get done. And one of them is not duplicating the same thing, expecting a different result, which means there are parameters that need to be put in place to help the individual, to help the lady recognize that life doesn't end with the condition that you're in. It might start there, it may be there, but it does not have to stay there. And there are ways to move beyond being stuck, feeling stuck, and getting into the life that you really intended when you entered that relationship. And I think a part of that is, again, going back to knowing the purpose of a thing. My pastor years ago would say that when you don't know the purpose of a thing, you will abuse that thing. And so when if it's a toddler and you give a toddler an ink pen, well, the toddler doesn't know what an ink pen is supposed to be used for. So they'll chew it, they'll bite it, they'll break it, they'll abuse it because they don't know the purpose of it. And I know that you specialize in this PDD, this purpose deficit disorder, which when I was reading about this, I was like, man, that needs to be a book. I don't know if someone's written on it, but if not, you need to write on it because it's a dis-ease of the soul. So can you talk to us about who has PDD? Like there are people walking around who have PDD and don't know it. And then what is the remedy for it? (laughs) Yeah, PDD is something that is very prevalent in most people who walk on the planet. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter the income level. Purpose deficit disorder, as the name implies, it is literally a deficit in a person's purpose. And because there's a deficit, there's a disorder. Oftentimes, people don't recognize they can really measure their level of purpose capital. Purpose capital is when a person walks into a room again, are you or or is that person the adult in the room just in terms of self-culture? Or is, as you indicated with the thermometer and the thermostat, do I get an attitude because there are attitudes inside of the room? If I do, I have PDD. If the spouse, whichever spouse it may be, had that bad day, which then turns into a bad hair day, PDD, is it that when things don't go right with the weather and people say, well, you know what, I'm just having a bad hair day, PDD, because the purpose is in a deficit, which creates the disorder, 
because there is an, a lack of understanding about how to use the utility of the body. I'll go real short with this because this goes pretty, pretty far in reaching. There are eight utilities of the body that a person can evaluate. Those eight utilities are the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, the head, the hands, the sexual organ, and finally, the feet. If a person is in PDD, they walk into trouble. If a person is filled with PDD, they always look at trouble. They look at things that don't serve the greater goal for the relationship, or they listen to things, or they smell things. They look for the aroma of drama, or they put their hands on a, uh, on a laptop to go to places so that their eyes can pick up things that stimulate them, all of which are disorders of purpose. Because if they don't serve the relationship, they're serving me, mm. my lower nature. And the lower nature is where PDD lives. My word, I need a hanky. I just need to wave it, wave it around right now. That's so good. I think that so many people, again, are operating in relationships on autopilot. And and they don't realize, I just heard from a guy on Instagram yesterday that was talking about his, he's kicked his porn habit, but his wife doesn't want to be intimate with him. And I'm like, well, that's good that you kicked the porn habit, but understand that she still needs to heal. So she's still probably walking in, not trusting you. And that rightfully so, he has to rebuild that. And so when we wake up to, oh, I've been doing relationships wrong. I think it's important that we also give grace to our partner, spouses, whoever, that they might need some extra time to kind of get on the same page. And that's really what I want to talk about today, Pastor Calvin, is that love keeps no record of wrongs. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know from my own life, I used to be a master at keeping records of wrongs. I mean, if you did something, I was never going to forget it. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, I would say, vengeance is mine, period. You know, <laughs> now we know that that verse actually says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? But vengeance was going to be mine. So I could be very vengeful. And I was not like overtly violent or vengeful, but I just had this simmering thing. You know that thing, you know that, that, mm -hmm, I see what you did there and I'm never going to forget it. And I have filed it away in the file cabinet of your wrongs. And when I need to access that, I can access it on a dime. And I think that there are so many people who maybe can identify with that until I realized that that was eating me up. It was causing me to be somebody I did not like, somebody I did not recognize. I was full of resentment and unforgiveness and resentment untreated will then turn into hatred. And that's when you find yourself standing over a dead body, wondering what the world just happened here. And so when I talk to couples, I'm always looking for this whole scorekeeping thing, which I'm telling you, it almost shows up in nearly every couple that I coach that people are keeping score. Well, I did this and my husband didn't do this or I did this and my wife won't do this. And they've got these scoreboards. And the only time that I've ever seen a scoreboard is when two opposing teams are playing a game. So I'm always telling my couples, you are on the same team. When You don't see a scoreboard in a practice. You see a scoreboard in where? In opposing teams. And so I just think it's interesting that 
couples who are caught up in this whole keeping a record of wrongs don't realize the damage, the immense damage that they are doing to their relationships. So how can you help couples to, first of all, stop keeping score and still feel like there's justice in their relationships? Got it. The, the idea of justice in the relationship on the, on the accounting terms is likely a very challenging place for a couple to enter and feel justified because the justification in that level will always have to lead to this version of compromise where I did this and now it's your turn to do that or you did this wrong and so now you got to pay. The reality of justice from God's perspective is, is much more daunting. It's much more requiring of us. And he says things like, until you eat my body, drink my blood, you have no place in me. Now, we're not talking about cannibalism inside of the relationship any more than he was when he was losing some of his followers. But the point is sacrifice. How much of Jesus will the husband or the wife consume? Because whatever God is telling them to do is the true measure of justice. But if you look at it in the natural, that person seems like they're losing. But I say this often about my wife with people who say different things about their wives. And I say, my wife can do no wrong. And of course, you know, silence and the air is sucked out of the room. Oh, you're saying she's perfect. No one says that, but I know that's what they're thinking. So I just go there and I say, it's not about her being perfect. It's not about her being always right. It's about the level of service that I offer her. That's it. So now whether she's done wrong or whether she's done right, she can do no wrong because I'm designed to cover. Since love covers a multitude of sin, if there's a multitude, I got love. But if I'm looking for justice along the basis of humanity or in this relationship, then I'm going to lose a whole lot, especially if serving eating the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus is not on my menu, then I'm going to have some real difficult times. And it's always at that point that it affects a person's prayer life because they pray for the person instead of praying for the strength that they need. And when that occurs and a person literally begins to recognize, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve my wife I'm here, or my husband. I'm here to outserve this person. All of a sudden, what they sow is what they will begin to reap. It never fails because love never fails. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you brought out the whole how much of Jesus are you consuming? And that's really what it boils down to is that if, if my focus is on pleasing God and pleasing my husband, then it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get offended. And it doesn't mean that there aren't wrongs, quote unquote, right, that are going to happen in the marriage. But that's not going to be my focus. My focus is going to be on what can I learn from being wronged? What can I do? How can I extend grace? How can I extend the love of Christ to someone who seems like they don't deserve it? And, and I think that that's really what it boils down to is when we are when we're trying to be vengeful or when we're trying to seek justice in our relationships, that we are basically putting ourselves in a position of God saying that person does not deserve love. That person does not deserve grace. So we're really making ourselves their judge. And then what then happens is then we think we have the right to then enact a consequence because they have done something that has violated us so bad that now we get to choose 
And there's a menu of consequences, whether that's withholding sex, whether that's withholding affection, whether that's giving the silent treatment, whether that's stepping out of our marriage and getting into another relationship. And so I think that when we just boil it down to the most basic level of what true unconditional love is, it is exactly what you said. It is serving and not expecting anything in return, not feeling that we're in an unjust situation because we realize that love does truly cover all. It's inspirational, but I think it's also practical. So why don't you help us, Pastor, to know like in practical terms, what does it look like to walk that out? Let's say there's a couple and they're they're arguing and they just can't seem to get along and they're just tit for tat. How does somebody just make a turn and, and start to treat their spouse differently? You know, everything you just mentioned is actually treating the disease of PDD. Hmm. You, you walk right into those answers and we quantify them in three questions, but you hit all of them. Why am I here is always the first questions that, question that begins to treat PDD or this injustice or injustice thing. If I understand why I'm here, then it leads to my understanding what I'm supposed to do. If I understand the why, I understand the what. Now, if I don't understand why I'm here, if I think I'm here to be served versus to serve, then I already missed the part that's going to treat this disease or this issue of the heart or mind. So if I know why I'm here and what I'm supposed to do, then the third thing that I'm asking me is how can I improve? The challenge is that the parameters for change or what we call how to set the parameters to give people a better condition for their victory is three purpose questions. We call them the big three purpose questions. And then the three Ds. These are the ways that we treat purpose deficit disorder. So like you mentioned before, you were the master lock holder of what you did wrong. And there are a bunch of us who do that. We remember and we remember well. Moments, temperature, time, seasons, breath, the list goes on. But in order to combat that so that love can flow, because love doesn't keep an account, is we got to start asking three questions. Number one, why am I here? Why am I here in this situation accusing this person or responding like this? Uh, Why am I here as the spouse? Why am I here? Okay, if I know the answer, then the next thing is, then what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be doing this? Am I really supposed to respond like this? Okay, then what should I be doing? And then the third question is, how can I improve? So why, what, and how fixes the issue of the person's responses to someone else's failures? The other piece that layers over this nicely is design, direction, and development. What am I supposed to do is a design question. If I understand my design, to your point earlier, If you know the function of a design, it won't be abused. If you don't know the function, even of my own self, then I won't do things that are in keeping with why I'm here. The next one is, if if my design is right, then what's my development? Well, I'm, I'm sorry, what's my direction? My direction is the question, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to move in the direction of my goals, our goals, not just me, but us. And if we can get people to change their language from me, myself, and I, the false trinity, to us and we and our, then all of a sudden the focus of where we go is team-focused. And then the final thing is 
then how can I improve? That's a development question. And so if I'm developing and I'm looking to get better, guess what I need? I need resistance. (laughs) So the resistance of the spouse's tone or the spouse's answers, it gives me a chance to develop. And no weight training is without weight, even spiritually. So if we look at it in those terms, no wonder Paul said, I've learned the secret that I really can do all things through him that strengthens me. He was never a victim of anything, even though he was describing being beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead, stoned. He called these things light afflictions. What? How is that a light affliction? Because Paul understood why he was there, what he was supposed to do, and how he could improve that led to his his design, his direction, and his development, and he lived his life like that. And that, friends, is the cure for PDD. (laughs) That's so, so good. That's so great. I've so enjoyed this conversation. I know that you've written a book, Pastor Calvin. Um, It's called A Man Made for Marriage. And um, I want people to be able to access that book. And so tell people about where they can get the book. How can they find out more information about you and the services that you offer? Thank you. You can go to Amazon.com and A Man Made for Marriage is in three forms. It's the ebook. And I think right now it's free uh, because of the KDP Direct program that we're in. There's also a book in the physical copy, and we have just released the audiobook version of it, all available on Amazon. And I can't leave out the tag or the subtitle, How a Woman Attracts One. And that's important because if you attract the right guy, then he will become, or he then has to, how a man becomes one is the tagline. A man made for marriage, how a woman attracts one and how a man becomes one. When we have two people growing like that, then even though marriages are often thought to be made in marriage, I mean, in in heaven, they're really made in the earth. They're sanctioned by heaven through the covenant. And if a man can become one, then he will make life good for his spouse. Again, it's available at Amazon. Our, our coaching services are available at calvintibbs.com. And you can go there and get a free strategy session. And we'll talk about whatever it is that's going on and see how we can serve you in that regard. We're also over on LinkedIn and on Facebook and on YouTube as well. And at kdchurch.org for our church, which is, uh, we love it on, on YouTube. Of course, we're live as well. So those are some ways that we can stay connected. And of course, I'll link to all of that in the show notes of this podcast. So thank you so much. You gave us a sermon. You gave us a seminar. You gave us some coaching. You gave us some psychological help. I mean, just the whole kit and caboodle. So this has been really a pleasure to meet you and to have you share with our couples on how they can actually have relationships of purpose. Amen. Thank you, Dana. I so enjoyed it as well. I can tell you're a woman of substance and you're a great blessing to the community that you serve. And I just pray that it continues to expand because you're doing kingdom work in the marketplace. Great job. 
Oh, such a great conversation. Thank you so much, Dr. Tibbs, for everything that you shared today. You guys, I want you to make sure that you follow Dr. Tibbs and find his website. You can find him at calvintibbs.com. And again, he mentioned this book. He mentioned PDD. Learn more about that. It's my absolute honor to bring to you guys guests who don't just have good intentions or good ideas, but they actually have practical resources to help you in your relationships. So again, we reference Love Is earlier in the show, but I want to make sure that you all have your workbooks. We're almost done with the series, but it's still not too late for you to get your workbook or your journal. And so you can find that at realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash love is. You can also find the show notes to this episode and every episode at realrelationshiptalk.com. Today is going to be realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 116. Well, thanks again for being with us today, Dr. Tibbs. And thank you, listener, for showing up today and listening to this full episode. If you are still listening to the sound of my voice, you have made it to the very, very in. And you are the real MVP. So remember, my friends, a good relationship is not one that works. A good relationship is one where you put in the work. Let's get to work. I'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it, or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible, one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.